0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is better to live in the light of the truth than to live a lie. However hard it is, however lonely it can be, whatever suffering comes with it, the truth is always preferable to a lie, because it is the truth. It is reality. And because this is God's world, and God is truth, it is always better to know the truth and to seek to live in the truth than to eke out an existence built on a lie. This is one of those weeks where I had a perfectly adequate sermon written. I worked hard on it, tried to say the right things, but I just wasn't happy with it. You all are so nice, you probably wouldn't have said anything. It just didn't seem to speak to the times in which we were living, which admittedly, as the week went on, sort of sounded worse and worse. None of us, not even those who survived the Great Depression, like my grandfather, who's now 101, or those who uh, went through World War II, or even those who remember 9-11 and its aftermath very well, none of us have seen or lived through something quite like this. It's a combination of a health crisis, an economic crisis, and a social crisis all rolled into one bizarre, quarantinable event, which hopefully won't last too much longer, but we don't really know, do we? So I thought about the way that Christianity really speaks to a situation like this, besides just saying that God will make everything all right, which of course he will, because God redeems all things. Or remembering, as in this gospel lesson, that God seeks to heal, which, of course, is true. But how does Christianity really speak to a pandemic? An era in which we can't even gather for funerals, or birthday parties, or church, or school. And an era that may be the opening salvo of a worldwide depression. And this is my answer. It's better to live in the light of the truth than to live a lie. What this virus is exposing are some of the many falsehoods that we have grown way too comfortable with over the years, socially, culturally, and personally. For example, our denial of death itself. We rarely consider our own death, much less an event that could kill millions of people, we must live in the light of that possibility now. And I hope we do. To live knowing that we will die should change the way that we live. We should seek to live a life of meaning, of value, of service. But do we? We have so much wealth in this country that we regularly eat gourmet food and buy boutique marijuana, and work 30 hours a week, or far less, and think nothing of it. Don't even blink an eye at how strange that is. Live for God. Live for others. So long as we can live a life of pleasure, we will. But it is living a lie, because it is not the life to which our God has called us. Perhaps a pandemic will cause some to question the life that they're living because it puts death firmly in the foreground. What about true religion versus false religion? Here again, it's impossible for me to imagine what so much religious peddling about health and wealth has to say to this moment. Our wealth is depleting before our very eyes And health, well, that's certainly no guarantee either. Maybe you heard the joke about the church healing service that was canceled due to no gatherings of COVID-19. Except it's not a joke. If faith healing is feckless in the event of a pandemic, well, what good is it? The bottom line is that God did not become flesh to take on the sins of the world and to be resurrected only to work on behalf of us having a comfortable life. That is a false gospel, and one hopes it is now being exposed. Other lies will be exposed as well, and that's a good, if painful, thing. I'm not an economist, and I don't wish to be political per se, and this might sound like a strange topic for a sermon, but I don't think it is. What an event like this exposes is just how fragile our economic system is and maybe has been for some time. It was already teetering a little bit, and this event seems to have pushed it over the edge, at least for now. Households have no savings. We've gotten used to living with mountains of debt. Of course, our government lives in the same way. It doesn't exactly encourage us to be thrifty when we have so much debt on the books And usually, the only solution for that kind of debt is staggering inflation. It devalues the currency. It makes it easier for a nation to pay off the debt it owes to others. And our own very currency, if we're honest, it's technically worthless. It's fiat currency. And while I defend capitalism, we should not always assume that every corporation acts in our best interests. They have stock prices to protect, and maybe inflate, and maybe boost from one day to the next, not always thinking of the long-term health of the economy. As one economic analyst put it a year ago, day traders, chart monkeys, and robo-machines have created a dangerous market environment that lacked rationality and got flooded with overvalued stocks. Now, what does this have to do with the gospel and the Bible, you might ask? Well, in the Old Testament, God is deeply concerned with just weights and measures. What is God speaking about? He's talking about real money, an honest economy, not cheating other people. In in the Old Testament, there's no real word for money. It's just silver and gold. Silver and gold have intrinsic value. They always have, they always will. We're living in a time, at least to a degree, of an economic lie. And if inflation is the result of that lie, then many lives will be greatly affected. There will be real suffering. So it does concern us as the church. The church can't change the way the world's economic system works, but we can at least better understand how fragile it can be. If our current system is exposed now, so much the better. Because we will have gotten closer to the truth. In our gospel lesson this morning, we have one person who is seeking the truth. A group of people who seem committed to a lie. And one person who is the truth. The man born blind is an instantly uh, empathetic figure. Though born blind, you, you get the impression that he accepted his condition. He lived with it for years. He adapted to it, and he paid the price. After all, even Jesus' disciples assumed that this man had sinned, or uh, his parents, of course, had sinned. And that was why he was blind. It was God's punishment. I mean, what a what a stigma to have to live with your entire life. And when he is healed... He praises God and gives Jesus all of the credit. His sole desire is to worship God. More than just his sight has been restored, he sees the joys of a life given over to God. The Pharisees do not come across as truth seekers. Their minds are made up, at least some of them. It indicates, well, the Pharisees were divided on what to think about Jesus. Even when the man is healed, many still accuse the man of being a sinner who brings nothing to the conversation. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to be Jesus' disciples. They wish to only be disciples of Moses, as they say. They don't want to have their assumptions questioned. They adhere to traditions that they know, that they are familiar with. Even with the truth staring them in the face, quite literally just as we are now looking at some off-hidden truths. They deny it, and they look the other way. And then there is the truth, Jesus Christ. What does this story tell us about him? Well, it tells us that his desire to heal and to give life and to restore us to community is part of who he is. Don't overlook that this man born blind is now, at least to a degree, restored to his community, something we hope for in the coming weeks. But Jesus always wants what is best for us, but that does not mean that all suffering is eliminated as soon as it can be. After all, the man was born blind. He lived as a blind man for years. If God wanted him to not be blind, that could have taken place before he was born. But Jesus says he was born blind that God's works could be manifest through him. So the truth doesn't mean that all suffering goes away. The obvious teaching here that John wants us to, to get is that though this man was born blind, he could see more than the spiritually blind Pharisees. Jesus is the truth. He is in the end what matters most. We need to know then who he is, what he does, how he provides for us, and how he shows his love for us. We always need to know that. But perhaps now more than, well, in a while, we need to be reminded of that. The truth is inescapable. It is inescapable. Whether it's our health which includes our life and death. Whether it's the economy, maybe it's the call that Jesus has placed on your life, or who Jesus Christ is, the truth is inescapable. And every now and then, the lies that we have come to live with are exposed, and the bubble is burst. Good. For as lovers of truth, we seek to live according to the truth. Use this time then to pray, to study the scriptures, and to see more deeply the world from God's point of view. And by God's grace, we will grow in the truth during this time and be far better for it. Amen.